Kia ora and welcome to Paul Diamond. Morena. Uh, what poka poka do you want to introduce us to from your reading over the past few months? That uh, so this is the last year really three that three that stood out for me three from the last top year. One. Excellent. First one, Tongariro National Park, an artist field guide by a man called Des Bovey. So Des was originally from Whanganui, uh, returned after thirty years living in France, and he had um, has had a career as an artist. And the whole of this book is made up of his illustrations, no photographs. And so he did the text. He also designed it. It's a very hard book to categorise. And as it says in Artist's Field Guide, it's really a record of his love for and experience of the park and many different facets. So he looks at everything. He looks at the mountains, the the sort of history of introduced species. Um, he looks at the animals, the flora, the fauna, the rocks, the volcanic systems. And it's 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 a really intriguing book. You know, I've skied there a bit. I've I've tramped there, and you know, as you move going up the Bruce Road, as you as you go up the Tudor Mountain Road, of course, you know, the vegetation you're going through changes. And and this book has really opened my eyes to that that beautiful landscape that so many of us know because you can't really travel in this country without going around it or, or through it. Straight, straight through the desert road. That's right. Yeah. So it's a call to action, this book. It's a critique of one of the um, introduced species that's had a major impact, us, and human behaviour. And it's all about noticing. He says, all is written in plain sight for those who know where to look. And, for example, if you've driven through State Highway 47, going from National Park to Turangi, the way Des says what's going on there, that's a battle there, going between broom and gorse on one side and the park, and Doc is trying to stop those introduced species getting across. It's a lovely way of looking, the tender art of looking, he talks about, enthusiasm and curiosity. And he talks about straddling the divide between erudition and innocent wonder. He says he's more on the side of innocent wonder, but I think he does a great job of, of balancing those two things. So anybody who's interested in Tongariro National Park should really have a look at this book and... Um, I think they'll find it quite entrancing. Is it illustrated? Yes. Oh, wow. Lavishly. Uh, it's like um, yeah, so, watercolours almost, is yeah, it? Yeah. He's done the illustrations. He did them. Oh, goodness. All, all of them. So there are no photographs in that book. Oh, my. Well, he's, he's got botanicals in here. And, of course, yeah. that's what's so incredible about this landscape is the... The oh. Pudidi moth lives for two days to mate, and that's it. I mean, imagine. You've got to really make those to, two days uh, count. I don't know if someone... <laughs> Well, it's like the poor old cicadas. Apparently they live underground most of their lives. They pop up, make a racket, and, and that's and, it. And Des, Mate, and that's it. And Des does mention in there that some middle-aged people have trouble hearing these. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I think we need to... I don't know if someone else on RNZ's interviewed Desmond, but I think we need to. He did a, a wee piece on Jesse, but um, it's, a, it's a really interesting book. Come back, Desmond. Yes. Um, S- we'll get someone to be in touch. Second book, The Financial Colonisation of Aotearoa, a little wee book I spotted at Unity Books by a woman called Catherine Coman who is a researcher doing a PhD in London. And this reminded me of a comment I saw in a book last year um, called Nakupu Wero, a collection of um, non-fiction by Māori by Dr. Ponemu Jade Aikman, a really brilliant young Māori who's been studying at Harvard, and said that colonisation for me is about resource control and acquisition. Māori have been incapable of collectively amassing wealth because it was the dis- their dispossessed lands that generated such wealth in the first place. And I thought... That's interesting. I hadn't sort of seen it framed like that before. And then this book comes along, and this is really what this book is doing, is putting finance back in the frame alongside the government, the crown, the state. And her argument is that we we focus, you know, what did the crown do, what did the government do? But actually, from the New Zealand company forward, 
And, you know, the New Zealand company started trading and selling land before it had even arrived here. And we kind of know about that story. We know about the Wakefields and things. But it's actually all about financial speculation. And she says that was integral to realising and reproducing the New Zealand company's settler colonial aims. Um, she's got a great writing style, a violent emptying of content from the Māori world. The monopoly purchase of land by the Crown for resale at inflated prices um, was really what drove colonisation. Of course, when the colonial government got formed, the first thing it did was bail out the New Zealand company. And this has actually happened other times. So then it, she puts that alongside people querying the quantum of reparations to Māori. And she's really trying to... It's quite a radical book, actually. She's trying to sort of really reframe the whole debate. I think it's fascinating. There's examples of Māori resistance to Pēkio Aotearoa that was created by the Kingitanga in 1889 and went through to the early 1900s. The 1898 Hokianga Dog Tax Rebellion, which was resistance to paying this tax levied on dogs, which disproportionately affected Māori, and she argues that the resistance was a political act, not so much about the, the, the size of it, of the amount. She links it to current debates about decolonisation. She says, decolonisation is a battle fought on the discursive and material terrain of the possible. It demands fundamentally destabilising the logics of finance capital and colonial sovereignty so often presented as immutable, which continue to constrain this terrain. And, you know, this week the BNZ has said that it's progressing plans to allow Māori to borrow and have mortgages on multiply owned land. She's right. Finance is all mixed up in this. And it's huge. Dr. Panamu right. Jade Aikman says, mm. actually, you can connect the housing crisis with the lack of Look, capital travelling through Māori finance. We've done multiple interviews on this, on uh, Papagaiinga land and what is happening um, uh, in uh, Auckland um, is backed by an hapu that can say, okay, it's not a guarantee, but we will step in if there are mortgage defaults and and and, and um, there'll be the best efforts to sell to others, uh, sell to Fano or to others in the Harpu. And that's where the banks got okay. There's some kind of a backup here, but there uh, there is so much papagaiinga land throughout this country. We've talked to Inez White in Rotorua, who is another, and people can't build fare on their own whenua because of the financing issue. It's a huge part of the story. We need to understand this better. And I think what's great about this book is it gives you ways to understand and and look at that because it's it's sort of opening my eyes to what's been around all the time and how this operates. And if you're not kind of savvy with the language and these arguments. So I was very delighted yesterday to wake up to find that this book is on the long list for the Occam's along with the third book I was going to talk to you about, The Forgotten Prophet, Tamati Tsu and his Kainarara Movement. Um, by Geoffrey Sissons. Geoffrey Sissons uh, is an anthropologist, was at Victoria. He's retired. He's written some quite seminal, important books in the past. This man, Tamati Tito, was born in 1829 in Taranaki, um, from Te Atiaua and a and a prophetic leader who I didn't really know much about. Kai Nadara was a movement across Taranaki which sought to combat sickness, which was a big issue in the 40s and 50s. These introduced sicknesses that Māori didn't have resistance to and create pan-tribal unity, preparing a way for God to be more present in a land free from demons, as he um, writes. And 
it's really fascinating to understand the role of these tohunga at that time. And when the missionaries are sort of in Taranaki, Raymond Schneider and Whiteley and these other missionaries starting to, and Māori were taking some of those religious ideas but sort of doing their own thing with it, like burying copies of the New Testament, which annoyed some of the missionaries. But Jeff says no New Zealand historian has recognised the relationship between this man, Tamati Ito, and Te Rangitake, who's very involved with the beginning of the wars and the conflict in Taranaki, uh, as even slightly relevant to an understanding of the New Zealand wars. And he argues that this was a prelude to the founding of Parihaka and building on... Um, he, he also builds beautifully on earlier work. I think the barrier to understanding this man is that a lot of the sources are in Māori. And at the Turnbull Library, there's a collection of letters that in Māori that were taken from two villages that were destroyed um, after the wars uh, in the sort of conflict in Taranaki. A woman called Penelope Good did a really important PhD thesis where she started to look at these letters, started to transcribe them and translate them. And Jeff has built on that. And this book is quite huge. It, it profoundly changes our interpretations of the Taranaki Wars, of Parihaka. Jeff has engaged with Māori and Taranaki and, and Parihaka and other places, and he says that, for example, the, the Parihaka is one of the features that's been unnoticed, underappreciated in standard histories of the period. He says, when the establishment of Parihaka is viewed in the light of this man's activities, it becomes clear that this community was in many ways the realisation of a Karinarara vision of, pan-tribal, of a pan-tribal settlement in which people could live in peace under prophetic guidance. So it's, it's the best sort of history, I reckon, that takes great notice of secondary stuff, builds on that, but is also engaging with these really complex, tricky Māori language sources. And this sort of really challenges our whole understanding. Well... It, it, it deepens it and makes it a richer understanding of the complexity of our history, and particularly in Taranaki. Ngamahinui, thanks very much. So just recapping, The Financial Colonisation of Aotearoa by Catherine Coman is self-published. She's a PhD student, isn't that's, she? That's ESRA, graduate. the Economic and Social Research Aotearoa. That's $30. All right. Um, and Tongariro National Park, an artist's field guide by Desmond Bovey, published by Bottenham Burton, $40. Forgotten Prophet, Tamati Te Ito and his Rara Movement by Geoffrey Sissons, published by Bridget Williams Books. $50. Kapai. Kia ora. Yamihi.